again, everybody. Scott Bound and Brian Last, right along ringside and ready to go for another big f-ing day of the Kentucky Fried Whoa, 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 whoa. Another big f-ing day? What? I, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know what came over me, dude. Dude, I, I've been cussing like a sailor all week, man. I mean, I'm in Starbucks ordering three-shot lattes, extra Will you quit using that word? We're recording. What? What? Sorry, I did it again, didn't I? Jesus. You know know who's to blame here? Rip. Hey, 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 dude, you're getting ready to get kicked off the air. Oh, uh, who do you think you are? Eddie Mackerel? Eddie Marlin? I've always thought of myself more as your Dave Brown. Uh, All right. With well, an act like Davey and, and tell the fine folks what we've got lined up today on the KFR podcast. It's no more Kirsten, no more being nasty. Well, no, no more nastiness, but the hustler Rip Rogers is back this week for the second part of his No Holds Barred interview. Wait Rip- a minute. I thought you said there was going to be no more nastiness. Will you Rip stop Rogers- it? <laughs> Rip Rogers will reveal secrets about life on the road with ICW, the story behind the insane radio ads you heard last week and this week here on the show, and how they were a part of the problem that ultimately led to the demise of the promotion, and the story of when the Macho Man met Miss Elizabeth. Yes, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you may throw up. Plus, Rip will give us the dirt on the fisticuffs between Savage and Bill Dundee and what really went down besides the superstar, when they hooked up outside the ring to answer the question, K is much macho. And Scott, you promised one day we'd go back in time to those WHBQ tapes from... Whoa, 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 whoa. But back in time? I, I didn't go back in time to, to get them. No, no, no. You said we would go back in time to those rare audio clips from WHBQ. Uh, okay, okay. I, I don't have the ability to time travel, okay? But yes, we do have some more clips from my buddy Chip Namius. Classic WHBQ audio not heard in over 40 years. Huh. If we're going to get it all in, we better get going. We'll be right back with the hustler, Rip Rogers. Stand another Sunday afternoon of ICW Wrestling. The Colts Volunteer Fire Squad and cable TV magnet Logan Fields present more wrestling. This Sunday at 3 o'clock in the A.B. Combs Elementary in the Wrestling Center of the Universe, Combs, Kentucky. See Rick McCord take on the Tennessee Stud. <laughs> A grudge match, Jeff Sword versus Pistol Pez Watley. <laughs> and a tag team title match. Randy Macho Man Savage and Rip Rogers versus George Wangeroff and Leaping Lenny. We'll jump small, unimportant items in a single mouth. My friends, two to his win over the Miser last week, Bob Root will be back. And the Miser is banned from Combs, Kentucky. That's the best news I've heard all This weekend, your favorite ICW stars at 3 o'clock at the A.B. Combs Elementary at Combs, Kentucky. Sponsored by the Combs Volunteer Fire People. All right, moving right along. Uh, let's get back to uh, let's get back to ICW. You mentioned uh, you know ha- having having these weapons with you and stuff like that, and to keep it now on the fans. The Memphis crew, I know for a fact, they were a little nervous going from town to town, and you know they were taking these threats pretty seriously. 
Uh, Lance Russell told me the story about how, you know, Randy, you know, was climbing a fence to get at him because he thought Lance had something to do with getting ICW kicked off Lexington TV. Uh, and Lance said, at that moment, I looked around the dressing room. I realized I was the only one not carrying a gun. Uh-huh. Uh, what from on from your standpoint, uh, were things tense? I mean, probably not because you guys had you had Savage, Bob Roop, Orton. I mean, these guys could, yeah. these guys could really go right. Yeah, I remember we had some we put on some tough man contests in Tennessee and stuff, and hell, our guys would win them, and they were you know it was shooting and shit, right? So I'm I'm just amazed made by their athletic ability and shit. They had no fucking fear. Uh, Garvin wasn't married. Roop wasn't married. Uh, Bob Orton was married, but he didn't have no kids at the time yet. You know what I mean? So th- these guys was, uh, but and all of them after they went after they got into promotion thing, they said, "Oh, we, we were just fucking dumbasses." <laughs> <laughs> they don't, you don't understand about all the stuff you got to do as a promoter. Well, the fucking, oh, I just spent $700 to get new wood for the fucking ring. Oh, the rope broke. Oh, we got to pay the insurance. We had to do this. Blah, blah. You know, I mean, all, everything, the fucking rig truck's breaking fucking down. The fucking, uh, uh, the vans were hauling the boys in. It's fucking maintenance every fucking day and shit. You know what I mean? There, there's more that meets the fucking eye and all the boys want to do. Because when, as like Lanny Popo said, when you're in the wrestling business, you have terminal adolescence. So if you get in at 21, 20 years from now, you still act like you're 21. You still think you're 21. You still want 21-year-old fucking girls. Or for some of the guys, 21-year-old young boys. What the fuck, right? (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) you don't ever fucking grow up in the fucking wrestling business. So all you want to do is uh, say, oh, uh, get your fanny pack on, put your Zubas on. Uh, your fucking gimmick tennis shoes and shit, go to the gym, have lats out, have the fanny pack on, call everybody brother, get in, get out, don't get hurt, get your dick sucked by arena rat, right? That's fucking wrestling business. Hey, I then can, you get the guy, I, the guys that drink beer, do pot, do fucking pills or whatever. And, and, and every day is a fucking, uh, uh, is a fucking holiday. Eat the fucking buffet, eat good, train like a fucking bastard and, and life don't get no better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean I know I know you guys were, were you know making a, a lot of money in ICW, but man, it had to be a fucking great time and a hell of an education. Oh man, I still saved no matter what. It didn't matter. But uh, the, I remember when I was thirty years old, I was working for Oli and Bob Roof was there, and we was making it. And I always traveled with him when we go on the tours and stuff. And he said, "No, you've really picked this shit up." I said, well, Bob, I just fucking listen to you guys, right? He goes, he goes, you're going to find it harder to get booked now because now you look great. You understand the business and you're 30. So all these bookers are going there. Now they're, they can see you taking their place because you're smarter than they are and they know it. And I said, God damn, Bob, I just want to play in the fucking game. I just want to make another fucking town, uh, hit another fucking girl and go hit, you know, I just want to have a fucking good time and not have to have a fucking real job, you know, and all that shit w- would come around and stuff. But it's like in L.A., right? I was out in fucking Portland and then Piper when I was I was going to leave there and Piper was going to book me in for LaBelle as top fucking heel just on Piper's word there. You yeah. know what I mean? But, yeah, then Rand- I- Randy said, but then Randy said, come back home. We need you. So I had to, I, I, Don, I'm leaving. What? I said, no, Randy said to come home and 
Randy tells you to come home, you come home. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I didn't even know you were there. And uh, last night I was, you know, just going through YouTube and watching some of your stuff again. And man, that yeah, there's a great encounter with you and Piper. Yeah, that's the first time we worked. Man. See, what I did was I worked, I worked, and I went home. And I called Buddy. I said, Buddy, let me come in for three fucking weeks, beat everybody. We'll have a fucking uh, loot, and then we'll paint the picture because Piper was a heel. He turned babyface. Piper gave the goodbye uh, speech. So it was me, Colonel De Beers, and Buddy. We had all been partners together against Piper and Butch and Luke, who had turned babyface. And they all thought Piper was going to lose. And the place was fucking just standing room fucking only. And he gave the goodbye speech. He thanked everybody. And then we went out and did the switcheroo finish. And I ended up losing in three weeks. I was in and out. And people could never call that fucking shot. You know what I mean? It was just fucking unbelievable. And I bet the pop was out of this world. Oh, my God. And Piper put me over. Rick Martell put me over. You know what I mean? Just this and that. And it was just so much fucking fun out there to fucking work. I mean, you don't sound like, to me, a guy who looks back too much. But have you ever thought, like, "Eh, maybe I should have stayed? (laughs) There's what? You don't don't strike me as a guy who has many regrets and looks back and and wonder what if. But uh, Oh, no, I do that. No, whatever decision I made, I did it. Okay. And I didn't want to do I didn't want to do the other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't give a fuck. When WWE went big, I didn't give a shit. Fuck them. I always had a fucking job. All them other guys going to do is cut throat even more, backstab even more, take more steroids and die even fucking more. Fuck, Barnett called me. I was the first guy who was going to do the valet gimmick there. Not Randy. Oh, really? And you, you, yeah. you, you weren't interested? Well, it wasn't that. And then all of a sudden, they saw Randy. And oh, performer right. Randy was goddamn. He was headed. He was. I could never be as good as him. But what I catered to my, I made my valet the star. You know what I mean? Right. And and Elizabeth was just some girl that worked in the gym at Sente. Was at the time she was heavy, wore braces, was just young and not really attractive. But she was the only girl standing there. Yeah. <laughs> it was like Joan Collins in Dynasty. You don't have her on. <laughs> you don't have her in a shot with a twenty-year-old. You know what I mean? And and did she have uh, the story? I heard that she had a crush on Savage and and got in shape to to kind of win his heart. Is it is that true or is that a little simplistic? I have I have no idea. When I was there, she was just a girl to Jim that took the keys when you came in. And and let's just say Randy didn't get women. Randy scared every woman in the world away from him. You know what I mean? Mm. But then when Randy was, when Randy was Randy, he was a fucking sweetheart. Right. Right. He was a a fucking, and I used to always rib him about, uh, his, his, the real love of his life was always Lynn. And then all of a sudden when he was playing baseball, cause she knew him as Randy, Randy Popo, the baseball player. And then years later, after he got divorced and stuff, that's the girl he finally married. He went back and found Lynn on the fucking internet or whatever. Because I remember he went to go down to try and hook up with her, and she was married to some guy named Pete. And I used to rib him about Pete's paints in Chattanooga or whatever the fuck. I can't remember where it was. And he'd get fucking madder than shit, you know. 
<laughs> and then he ended up uh he ended up marrying her and he was he I guess he was just happier and shit. So good for fucking him. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, I don't know how I don't know how we got on that shit, but what the fuck? Well, yeah, <laughs> uh and and it's interesting cuz I, I I've I've heard Lanny tell the story uh when uh Randy got cut uh yeah. the for, for the final time. And yeah. I think this is after he had hurt his uh, right arm, and and then he, I think he taught himself to to bat left handed. Well, which no, is... here's what he did. Okay, he, he he was after he separated his shoulder real bad. He could he couldn't play catcher. He couldn't make that snap throw to second. So, and they were scared of him. So they said we're going to switch you to first base, but we want we want a left handed first baseman. He said, oh, okay. So he went home. Next year, he shows up at spring training. and said, what are you doing here? He says, well, I'm here to play first base. They said, well, we wanted a left-handed first baseman. He says, that's me. He said, what? So that motherfucker, I made him play catch with me, could throw that fucking – he said he threw that ball 1,500 times a day against the fucking wall to learn to throw. And he could zip that some bitch pretty good, but he had to throw it like overhand and to get out. They said, well, we need you to make that snap submarine throw to second base. You know, what? and he couldn't, right? So that's when they that's when he left and he broke all the bats and everything, you yeah, know. Yeah. But, but he was let's just say he was sort of intense. Right. But you know what's so funny is we saw we would watch the Memphis show every week. What, and, what, what, uh, what did you think of it? Well, Oh, I, I didn't like Memphis wrestling because hey, they had that shitty fucking ring on television with no ring cover. They, they was a, like a million dollar company and they looked like shit and they had a lot of shit. That, no, well, you know what no, I mean? no, well, it's funny. Cause you were, when you were telling me about some of the guys, things that you guys were doing, that was first rate. It's almost amazing how Jared, Jared spent so little. You know, you know what I mean? On you know the yeah, you look at the ring and 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 it's like uh-huh. God, why why didn't they just use the Coliseum ring? For, you know, which right? Was, which was you know sometimes it looked cool, but sometimes it looked it almost looked like an abstract painting because there were so many blood spots, uh-huh. you know, all over the thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know how often they cleaned it, but uh, but yeah, there were a lot, and they just had the curtains in the back, you know, uh, uh-huh. and, and just the belts for the most part look like shit but uh, but, 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 but 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 it, it was like memphis wrestling i loved uh the weekly towns i loved the intensity but i was from i played sports in college you know what i mean and i know what it is when you get hit and i, I could not get with a punch oriented uh company you know what i mean lawler would i watched lawler hit jerry uh, hit buddy landell about 60 times in the corner one time and there wasn't a mark on him yeah. so you just destroyed you just destroyed your own fucking business that lanny popple had the best right hand i've ever seen in my fucking life jesus fucking christ he didn't get to fucking push but you didn't you don't use it too much you know what i mean yeah. Lawler had that great fucking punch, but they but if you if you throw it thirty times the fucking match, it don't mean a goddamn thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he man, and uh, you know when when I got into it, 
and and, uh-huh. and got into that feud with with he and Dundee, uh, especially the '77 bouts. Man, those were snug. Those are some snug yeah. punches, uh, and I, I don't know how, I don't know how they uh, how they did it because it was so it was just so damn physical. Uh, but man, it, it well, worked it, it worked in Memphis though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, and everything's the bottom fucking line. Right. But I'm just talking about me personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would I would do a jab sequence and a one or two fucking rights in the baby face, be repeating what I did to him. Plus, you know what I mean. But but still, that's like when when I was in Mississippi with Troy Graham. We'd have a fucking street fight, and we'd be in the back punching ourselves in the eyes, fucking twisting our fucking uh, eyelids and shit, and we'd take the fucking sandpaper and scrape our shit. You know what I mean? And we'd be coming out for fucking interview, our faces fucking swollen and grotesque looking, and people believed it because we fucking pounded on each other and pounded ourselves in the fucking face and shit. You know what I mean? Man, Rip, it's it's interesting that you you mentioned that because I've told the story a few times because you know Troy came back in '94. And that's, and I, and I, I was his manager and, uh-huh. and we did a, we did a big brawl, uh, you know, they were all bleeding and we wanted to do a live, you know, or not a live, but it, we wanted to tape a pro- promo right there at the Coliseum, you know, where, well, uh-huh. everybody was still just so a bloody mess. Right. And right. We're, look, we're looking around and they're like, where's, where's Troy? And I go, shit, I, I, I don't know. Uh, well, so, I know where so, he's at. Well, he's out there. He's out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking. I'm looking around, and man, and then all of a sudden I hear this smack, smack, yeah. and it sounds like somebody's beating the shit out of somebody. And uh-huh. I go in there, and he is t- just pounding his eye, trying to close yes. it. And and I go, Dream. Yeah. They they want us to do the promo, and he goes, How do I look? And I go. God, man, you look like shit. And he goes, "All right, <laughs> you know, like that's what, yeah, he, yeah that's what he wanted to hear." Um, man, it was just right. And, and a part of me, you know, I, I, you know, I respected the hell out of Troy and loved him to death as, uh-huh. as a promoter. And he was so he he was so helpful to me, and uh, I just thought the world of him. But in a way, I was kind of I, I I just said, man. I was thinking, man, we're, we're, we're going to get the same crowd next week in Memphis. You know, Memphis was not going to jump. You know, the, the house wasn't going to jump. But it, it it was important to him to do that, though. Yeah, it was. He took that shit very seriously. He got that shit from Frankie Kane, see? The great Mephisto. I was there when uh, uh, when Troy did his first, uh, his first uh, color, we'll call it a color job, okay? And he had he had the virgin head and everything. Yeah. Then I fucking then he got addicted to the son of a bitch, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, which he is, did. <laughs> which is what happens. Which is what happens sometimes. Uh, Tommy Rich but, uh, immediate, Tommy Rich immediately comes to mind. Yeah. But uh, you know, but you was talking about Idol earlier. I remember I was working for Fuller, and me and fucking Idol, we had a fucking ten week fucking program there. Then I was going to work for Ole in Atlanta, and uh, so about the eighth week, uh, after the eighth week, I moved to Atlanta, and Fuller said, oh, no, uh, I got you two more weeks. We had a special stipulation. You're coming back for two more weeks because we've been doing good bit because I was working with Idol, which was good because it was their, their peak season in the summer. And uh, what it was was it wasn't none of their company, you know, the, the, none of the family was in the main events, which gave them a good rest. Mm. which was good. So yeah. me and idol did that. Yeah. Cause I remember me and I remember Bob Armstrong. He was fucking, he was on the, uh, the Jack and Jill's, the pills. And, <laughs> and we was in Montgomery and he said, Hey, you and I don't got the record. I said, what? 
He said, yeah, you outdrew Andre and you outdrew Flair here. When me and Idol was working, I said, God damn. He said, don't tell Idol. He'll want more money. <laughs> exactly. And I said, and I said, Bullet, just let if that other, you know, also he was fucking paranoid about fucking losing, right? I said, just let if he'd fucking let me win, lose, or beat him sometime. Jesus fucking Christ. Fuck heels job to fucking, you know, get in, get out, get that baby face over, get the fuck out, and get in every fucking territory, you know? Oh man, and I, and I bet I bet the promos between you guys were just off the charts. Well, it was he was I, I learned really good of how to work with uh, a different style with him. Completely entertainment. He said, as soon as you grab me in a wrestling, I'm done. I said, okay, I'll work around that. So we had a pretty good fucking different routines and stuff. He just fucking look great, fucking talk great, come to the ring in the fucking limo, blah blah blah. Uh, I knew what he could do. Uh, he knew what I could do uh, with this and that. So uh, uh, we had a we had a real good fucking time there. Now, uh, and getting back to uh, rounding back around back to Memphis. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, and we took that. And by the way, I, I I do want to say really quickly. Uh, I didn't see a lot of, of continental uh, or Alabama wrestling southeast when I when I was younger. But uh, well, I started t- tape trading uh, in '86. I was a uh, freshman in high school, and yeah. I, and I answered a, a newspaper ad that this guy in Pittsburgh wanted uh, somebody you know to do Memphis, and he was already in that circle of tape traders. And man, he sent me tapes from Japan. Uh, I got uh-huh. this was my first time I got to see a lot of Alabama wrestling, and I thought I thought I, I thought it was fantastic. Great, yeah, great TV. Was, yeah, it was it was really fucking good there. The the, the the Fullers, they, they really understood the fucking wrestling business. And you could go there and come back in three years, the same guys would be there, but all the ones that were heels are now faces and vice versa. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, the, and, the, and the towns the, were easy to make, right? And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They had uh, – there, was, there wasn't any real long trips. I remember one time in Pensacola, the long trip was Birmingham. Then they would go all the way up to fucking Knoxville and added Chattanooga, and then went all the way over to uh, uh, Columbus, Mississippi, and it would go all the way far east as Panama City. So, uh, but you're still on the beach every day if you wanted to. You could train every day. Uh, so it was it, it was a heaven. And, and what's so funny, I never heard any of those guys ever raise their voice to anybody. Hmm. The Fullers... Bob Armstrong, you know what I mean? Yeah, like a tight, tight knit and, locker room. And, yeah, and and uh, with fucking Randy, I'm used to screaming 24 hours a day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? What's the matter with these guys? They fuck, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, um, you know, you guys, you guys had so so much. You were at such a disadvantage being in uh, in Memphis uh, at, at that time because the show it was such a it, it was such an institution, and even though Lawler right. was, Lawler was out, which is you know kind of, kind of a good good break for you guys, uh, but that almost well, was a good, that was that was a good break for Memphis too. Because I well, don't give yeah. a shit. Yeah, there, there, that you need. That's what see what Fuller would do. He'd book for a year, and then he'd let Robert book for a year. You know what I mean? And then Ron would do Robert. You'd have a better time, but Ron, you'd make more fucking money in the same towns. Robert was too busy being Robert. You know what I mean? 
but then it gave them the other, it gave them a break from the same old shit. So if I have to walk out to see fucking, I don't want to see Lawler every fucking shit. That's like John Cena on fucking TV that some bitches on every fucking week. I don't want to, that's why I don't watch wrestling. Yeah, I can, I can go back fucking 10 years and see the same shit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, you know, even though business was down in, in 1980, right. uh, but, uh-huh. they, but they also had some damn good weeks. I mean, hell, they drew 8,000 people for a Billy Robinson Luthez match on top because Jarrett was giving them something. I mean, talk about something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, just, but, that, but that's like that's like Eddie Graham. He had fucking booked the old Sheik on his fucking show. But he'd put him on second, and they'd fight outside and carve everybody up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, now we're back to good wrestling. Okay, we've seen that act. We've seen the girls. We've seen the midget comedy spots. We've seen the fat man thing. Okay, now let's get back to some wrestling now. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you have no matter good wrestling, no matter what it is, if it's the same old shit, you need a little fucking dessert there every once in a while. Well, and, so, uh, and before Lawler broke his leg in 79, uh-huh. Memphis's business was really down in 79. Uh, uh-huh. and, and they were trying to recreate the magic of uh, the Lawler-Dundee feud. And uh-huh. it, 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 they were not, it was not drawn this time. And, and, the, and Lawler was really, I mean, he was always so good on the mic and everything, but he was really hitting us. I mean, some of the best heel promos I've ever, I've ever heard or uh-huh. like September 79 to January 80 when he broke his leg. Cause and Jimmy yeah. Hart was his manager and never got a word in because Lawler yeah. was just on a roll, but, but they, but Memphis business was down. And I think it was because to your point, you know, the fans had seen this before. So it was almost like for the good of the company in the long term. Lawler, yeah. the the break, Lawler breaking his leg was a great thing because when he came back, I was in the audience, you know, with uh-huh. about eleven thousand seven hundred people. Oh, I, and, I, I watched it on TV. I watched it on TV when oh, he came back. Uh, dude, the 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 atmosphere. I mean, I'm not electricity, even, baby. Oh, I'm not even kidding you, man. I, I just, Gee, I, it, is. it was yeah. it was amazing for me to be there as a fan. And mm-hmm. I'm up in you know the nosebleed section, and I'm looking around, and I'm not even I'm not joking you. There were people, hundreds of people sitting in the aisles because there were no seats. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it just crazy. And there was a story on the front page of the Commercial Appeal the next day. Uh, people literally were breaking down the doors to get in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that just set in the whole and the whole thing. The it, it just had the feud tailor made with Lawler and Hart, you know, which which yeah, you know, set the territory often often running. Uh, and, and they got hot again. But I, I'm curious though, because you guys you guys had a great TV product, and it was it was kind of similar to Memphis with with a lot of crazy gimmicks. Uh, good story. Yeah. Well, good you got you got to remember the uh, Garvin was with the Fullers for a long time, right? Right. Okay. So Fuller's is the same as the Jarrett's. <laughs> I got you. So, I got you too. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why. Okay. So, that, that, that explains yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and it's funny. It's funny, especially like uh, some, on some of the spot shows looking at some of the lineups because midgets were, were kind of a staple wrestling bears, uh, hair matches and all kinds of stipu- I mean, all kinds of stipulation matches. Um, now who's that with, who's that, that, that with? That's you guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to remember we, we, we had two midgets with us that were there all the time. 
Right. Because we ran so many spot shows, right? Yeah. <laughs> then we used them as a special referee. We used them at the fucking gimmick table. They they were employees and they worked every night. And they were having the time of their life. Uh, we we got we got the dick stuck, right? We, we, we talk, you know, I, I mentioned to you about doing a documentary. We we get we gotta we gotta sit, we gotta really discuss this rip. <laughs> I mean, just uh, just uh, just an incredible little run, and the fact that oh, I know, I know what I was going to say, Scott. We was talking about Dream Machine, yeah, Troy Graham, Troy Troy T. Tyler, right? Yeah. When 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 I me and me, me and Leaf and Landing, we had a we had a double main event, which was uh, which was in Rupp Arena. It was a double cage match. It was Randy against Radamias, and me against Leaping Landing, and. I went on last, but the reason I went on last was we give the baby face finish, right? And was this, uh, was this the I hair had, match? Had, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. And uh, Lanny, I hard weighted. That's when I was really punching him, and he and 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 I was really head buttoning. And his fucking eyes were fucking swollen. It wasn't a, a bleasé job at all, but there was the and then when you saw him on TV two days later. His eyes were completely fucking black. You know what I mean? He finally said, that's enough. That's enough. I said, okay. That's what he wanted. So I'm hurting my fucking knuckles, fucking punching him. You know what I mean? And his fucking, uh, uh, above his eye and shit. Trying to bust him, but I'm not wanting to bust him. You know what I mean? And it's killing my fucking hand. But he didn't want to do the other way. And cause we walked around that fucking town and they saw us. You know what I mean? We was legit ass. Here's fucking Pez was Kentucky State Powerlifting Championship, and me and Randy was in bodybuilding contest. I'd won some, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and we was like half ass, half ass legit, you know. And we had the wrestling school, and Garvin's taking guys and sugar them. They're peeing their pants. They're shitting their pants, and he's running them all away, you know. <laughs> and Garvin said, "Fuck them. They need to be buying fucking tickets, not being fucking smart enough. Fuck y'all." You know that was garbage. <laughs> right, right, yeah, and uh, yeah. Oh, but but anyway, it, but anyway, back to Memphis. We saw fucking Kevin Sullivan there, and he was in that bodybuilding shit, right? Randy saw that, and he says, "That's what we're doing." And then me and Randy started fucking contest shit, right? And then so the first contest, and then all of a sudden Randy's my enemy because he has to compete with everything. Most curls, who could do the bench, this, who, you know what I mean? Everything was a contest every minute of his fucking life. And I was too fucking stupid not to put him over. I'd beat him and he'd get fucking mad at me and he'd punish me. He'd put me on the road while he'd stay off and he could fucking eat right and go to the gym all day, right? But all I did was make me hate even more and train even fucking harder. So we'd go to the fucking contest and we wouldn't even ride together. Cause he's so fucking. No, you're the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! So he beat me in the first one. I beat him in the second one. In the third one, he said, "Fuck it, I'm done." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, but we, but we wouldn't have done it at all unless we saw Kevin Sullivan on the goddamn Memphis thing. Yeah, because he, he, he came, it, he came in in '81. So, yeah, yeah, it was so. Yeah, and that's when we got in the contest. We started at '81, '82. And then I I got in fucking uh, twelve contests in sixteen months, which is impossible. And I fucking did it. And <laughs> then I guess posed to Mister Puerto Rico in nineteen eighty eighty nine, 
but anyway, it was all because of us watching Memphis TV and us fucking going through life one time and just fucking do it, you know. Fuck. You know what? Now that you mention that, I I I, I do remember thinking at one point that you and Savage both were getting really ripped, and you both you both like looked very it was very similar physiques. <laughs> You know, you, you got, and this that explains it. <laughs> oh, the, the 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 rib was Randy was on the gas and I was clean. Then I beat him; he couldn't take it. <laughs> uh, I got gotcha. you. I got so you've oh, you, you've always, you've always been natural. Uh, in three weeks, when I was thirty two years old, I took I took some time off from business after I after I walked out of fucking Tampa, went back to Lexington, and did nothing for six months. And I just trained. I wanted to see what would happen. I weighed 222 when I started. I took one shot of DECA for three weeks. Three weeks later, I weighed 248 and a half. Jeez. 26 pounds in three weeks. Holy. I got so strong, I tore my fucking bicep on the 12th set. Uh. And I said, well, I'm getting rid of this shit because I'm obsessive compulsive, which means I would be dead. Right. So I got off that shit, and I became even more trained even more faster harder every kind of shit i was doing like that p90x shit in the 80s you know what i mean yeah and and because hell there wasn't 24-hour gyms there were a lot of time there weren't any gyms you'd fucking invent shit and everything else you just fucking push yourself what the fuck we went every fucking stone turn and uh it's now uh we've been on this about what uh an hour 45 or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And we ain't said shit. We ain't done fuck all. <laughs> and we half-assed covered a whole lot of shit, but we ain't said shit. <laughs> exactly. But I'm I'm thoroughly I'm thoroughly entertained and that's all I give a shit about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and if and if our listeners are too, and that's great. But I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just we're just we're just hoping to. Exactly. That's like well, that, and that's you know, it's like the fucking Waffle House incident there when when Randy sucker punched Dundee, and you know, I'm oh. the only one that was there that okay. knows about it. What Let, really went on? Well, then please, please, I, I was, I was, I was saving that. Uh, but let, yeah, let's let's get the straight story because I, I've heard Dundee tell what he claims to be the the, the true events, but eh. now, for for for, 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 old, for a short okay. for a short man, Dundee could tell a telltale. Uh, so, Yo, so, Billy's, a, Billy's a hell of a hell, hell of a storyteller. Jesus Christ! One night I was working a spot show with him and New Lady Galana. Every time I tried to slam him, he was fucking holding on to me. <laughs> so when I put him down, he's like pulling me with him. I said, "You son of a bitch!" I kept slamming. He kept holding me down or pulling this fucking laughing bigger than fuck. That was funnier than shit. But anyway, we had just—I had just been. In Bowling Green, I had just win, won the Mr. Southern Kentucky. The next day, we're in fucking Memphis. I drive. I get a ride to fucking Memphis. Now, we're off Monday, but we're driving ahead to, like, towards Johnson City. So, remember all, I remember all these years that Candy Devine was always accused of being a stooge or something, but it wasn't her. Are you still there? Yeah, no, I'm. I'm. I'm I, okay. I, I, I don't. I don't want to interrupt. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Well, I. I heard that the the, okay. the the beef originally started because a, a, a female fan. Oh yeah, the, the whole thing. Yeah. The whole thing was over. Bill wears some trunks on yeah. TV that said Macho Man. Right. That some that some fan sent him. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you know, fucking Randy, he he'd want to fight. You look at me, you think I'm short. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. You know, you're looking at my hamburger. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Uh, all of a sudden, he says, hey, we're going to go to the gym to work out. So he's got this big elaborate plan, but they kayfabe me about it because I'm the weak link. I'm the, like the normal guy. All I wanted to do was trade and and, and play wrestling. So uh, there was a girl wrestler whose mother got inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. <laughs> uh, Debbie Combs. There you go. She was Randy Squeeze at that time. So Randy would always book Debbie in, and hell, he would book Donna Day in for me or whatever, right? <laughs> but uh, Debbie, when we stopped somewhere, he called her and she stooged off that uh, the boys were there and Dundee was there at some gym working out. So we stopped to go work out. I have no idea what's going on. So I go to the back, get my fucking gym shit out, and I'm looking to try to see what's fucking half-ass fucking clean because I'm on the fucking road. I'm a fucking pig. And now I'm hearing all this fucking commotion and shit. Now, I didn't actually see it because I'm 100 feet away, and I'm just hearing yelling and fucking screaming. But I'm in the car when they get back. I said, what the fuck was that all about? Well, they said, Randy Sucker Punch Dundee. I said, why? They said, because he wore macho man trucks, you know. And so I just, I gave him a 19 fucking, 1982 eye roll or whatever the fuck that was that they did him in. I said, what the fuck's that all about, you know. But George Weingroff's dad saw worked at the fucking jail. And he said, we have to file something on him first. You know what I mean? Uh So Randy filed something on him about being a, Australia and he pulled a gun out. But what he did was Randy punched him and broke his fucking jaw, dislocated or whatever the fuck it was, and, and Dundee couldn't work. Dundee said something about getting out of his trunk uh, the, for his jaw or something when Randy was on him and, and then Bill got his fucking gun. And then all of a sudden there was Pez was there, Thunderbolt was there, I was there, I, and uh, Miser, I was in Randy's fucking car, and it was all a fucking setup, but no, uh, Randy didn't take the gun away from Dundee. Dundee pulled the gun out of his fucking trunk, wherever he had it. And uh, he didn't pistol whip Randy, or Randy didn't pistol whip him. Dundee had the gun, and and we ended up running with a fucking tail between our fucking legs, scared shitless, because, hey, Dundee had a gun. And we didn't, how, how the fuck was we going to get out of that, even though we're guilty? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. American way. Yeah. So George called his dad, Saul, told him what to fucking do, blah, blah, blah. So Dundee had a broke jaw or whatever it was. I have no idea. He missed work. He lost fucking man. And Lanny, and Randy lost weight worrying about it. But then uh, he got, Randy got off scot-free was what it fucking was. So uh, Randy sucker punched Dundee over the fucking things. Well, over the the macho man, uh, over the macho man trunks uh, over over you know. the over the perceived gimmick infringement. Yeah, uh huh. I said, oh, <laughs> and I said, this guy and this guy used a headlock too. Okay, what the fuck, right? I what? said, Randy, everything I do in the ring, I copied from you, and you know that because that was. Uh, 
I said, my idols was you and handsome Jimmy Valiant. You know, what the fuck, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That makes sense with uh, handsome because uh, he was working with, he worked for Bruiser a lot, right? Before. Yeah, and, I, and, and he used to fucking, uh, I'd pick him up at the gym I worked at in Indianapolis and I'd drive him down to Louisville. Then we'd go to fucking Evansville. Then we'd go back to NV and he'd hook back up with Felicia again. You know? Yeah. And then uh uh I'd give Lawler my number and Lawler would always toss it in the fucking wastebasket. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh man. I, I man, you know what I, I love I loved, you know, I, I did I I I I appreciated the boogie woogie man gimmick, right? But uh-huh. I loved Handsome Jimmy, and they, and they and oh, they and they were different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Handsome Jimmy was like cutting edge. He was in shape. He was a you know great brawler. Yeah. Uh, you uh-huh. know he, he was the first one that I saw do this fantastic job of you know making pop culture references. Yeah, this great uh-huh. promo where he was like, hey, you know, uh, Smokey and the Bandit was red hot at the box office. He goes, hey, I feel good today. I was Bert and Sally just dropped me off in the Trans Am. I think Bert slipped something in my Coca Cola Lance. <laughs> I feel good. Oh, I'm hey. messing off the wall. <laughs> hey, remember he'd have all those funky trucks and shit with sayings on them yes, and stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. He'd say. He'd say. Marcus, what's happening today? I said, "Oh, Star Wars, baby, Star Wars." You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he started he started making shit and everything to get the Harley Carlin Hildegard on the stuff we'd be talking about in the fucking trips. As he'd be riding in my fucking my beat up fucking uh, Pinto, and I'd be driving him on the fucking loop and shit. You know. So, so that's where <laughs> that's where Handsome Jimmy's Chewbacca trunks came from. Is that, I didn't know he yes! had that one, but he had, <laughs> I'd never do that one. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars be the oh oh let 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 lay down Sally. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh fuck, oh, yeah. Man, I got, Hand song. Funny, funny story. Uh, my uh, I guess it was about seventy eight uh, when he during his first babyface run, and the people were just yeah. dying to to love him. You know, after he yeah. got done with that feud with Lawler, and uh-huh. uh, my mom was traveling, ran into him at the Memphis airport, and goes up to her uh-huh. and she's like. Uh, I, I apologize. I don't want to bother you, uh, but I'd really appreciate if you get you know sign this for me. Uh, it's well, it's 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 for my son, and without missing a beat, Jimmy, you know, he talked in a low tone when he wasn't on camera, and he's like, <clears throat> "Your son, huh? Sure it is, Mama. Sure it is." <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, too hey, too funny. Hey, I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at my mom's house right now, laid in the bed. After she fucking cooked me stuff, did the fucking laundry, took the shower, I got to get ready for wrestling practice tomorrow and shit, blah, blah, blah. She had handsome, when handsome Jimmy was in fucking Seymour, he'd come over to fucking, have, here's my mom, more coffee, handsome Jimmy. <laughs> Half a cup of coffee, hun. Half yep. a cup. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, gosh. Oh, uh-huh. I want to tell you uh, just to, I, I, I tell you I, I feel like I'm doing I'm, I'm doing just as much storytelling as you are, but uh, but we know some of the Nothing same people. <laughs> we know some of the same people. Uh, yeah, and, and you're you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna call me an idiot. Uh, you probably already have under your breath a couple of times during the show, but anyway, I just, uh, I just saw it through your face. Fuck, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, uh, I I had never gotten color. And suddenly I found myself booked in a hospital elimination match. 
And I, uh-huh. and you know, I was sort I was in the business, but I was sort of out of it. You know, the fact that I could cut yeah. a good promo, uh-huh. they, they let me skip Louisville. Cause I'm starting to graduate college. You know, I, I was in my senior uh-huh. year when this was going on and, yeah. and I saw that and I, and it's, and it's like an eight man hospital elimination match. It's, and Troy is in the match with me. And I look up and I saw that. I told Randy Hales, I said, I'm not doing it. I said, we're, we're going to have to come up with some, something, I, but I'm not doing uh-huh. it. And, uh, so we get there Monday night. And they do the good cop, bad cop thing where Randy's kind of like, uh-huh. you know, a lot of the boys think that you just want to be a star, but you don't want to go to the towns. You're not going to Louisville. You won't even do this for us. And then Lawler plays, Lawler goes, Scott, come here. And Lawler knows that I've grown up, you know, worshiping him and, and he's my sports yeah. hero. And he's like, Scott, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't ask you to do something that I haven't done a million times. Uh-huh. And by the time he got done giving me that pet talk, I couldn't wait to get out there and do yeah. it. And uh, and the dream came up to me. And he goes, he goes, hey man, if you're worried about it, uh, I'll just zip you. I'll, I'll zip do it you. for you. And I went, uh, no, yeah. thank you. <laughs> and, uh, at least, hey, at least you were smart enough for that. As a fucking rib, he'd have ripped you all the way across. Hey, 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 go just a second, rip. Uh, we've talked so long, my computer's about to die. <laughs> And I'm doing this oh, okay. through Skype, so let me uh, let me get it charged real quick. Hang on. And we are back on Kentucky Fried Wrestling. Hello? Yeah, I'm fucking back here. I'm waiting on you to fucking continue. <laughs> yeah, real, real, uh, first class Tell- oper- real first class operation we have going on here. Oh, fuck. Hey, the, the record for uh, in Marion, Illinois, Miser bought the tell room, uh, motel room. We had 16 guys in the room. That was the record. Ring crew, ref. Timekeeper, blah blah blah, all the fucking boys. So he bought the free room. It cost thirty three dollars, but uh, and I remember waking up and say, "Ha ha, I made it!" And went right to the gym. But then sixteen people was in the fucking room, and then we had twelve people in the fucking van. That was the fucking record on some fucking long ass haul trip. But two of them was midget. So what the fuck, right? <laughs> right. Uh, oh, but but. Anyway, so I, I get in there. Uh, can, I, can I finish my story now? <laughs> yeah, finish it. Yeah, we forgot. Yeah, okay. So now I, put yourself over now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so I get in there, and, and they're and they're like, you know, they're like, you know, don't screw. The, and I'm like, man, I know that they think I'm going to screw this up. Uh, uh-huh. They think about, you know, they think I'm not fully committed. So, man, I got in there and I hit a gusher. I mean, uh-huh. it was like it looked like the. Kennedy assassination. I mean, I'm just <laughs> Brian Lawler. Like he he uh, gets it, pulls a chain, nails me, and, and man, I just I on one go. I just man, it was just spewing everywhere. I get to the back, and Lawler's like, "Oh, that was great." <laughs> it was like a it was like a proud father, <laughs> you know. His son yeah. had just gotten up there and hit a home run uh, in his in his uh-huh. first in his first at bat, and <clears throat> I get to the back, or I get, I get to TV on Saturday. And 
man, you know, it's my senior year. I've got like exams. I'm working at FedEx on top of doing everything else. And Rip, I I showed up without a, a bandage. And, Holy shit. And I walked in, Troy Graham, in front of the boy, just, he said, Scott, can I talk to you for a second? I said, uh-huh. yeah. I said, yeah. And we go down the hallway and then he pushes uh-huh. me, not hard, but uh-huh. firmly against the wall. And he goes, you know, I like you. You know, you're I, you're a good kid. You're, 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 you you could be a hell of a promo one day. You're good, but you're not, you're not great. But my point is, if this were seven years ago, eight years ago, I'd be beating the shit out of you right now. And I went, what, what? And, I, and then it hit me and I went, oh, fuck. Uh-huh. I was like, Troy, yeah. man, I'm so sorry. You're Man, you're right. He's like, how dare you? How dare yeah. you do that to our business? And I just, and he was right. And I, I just, I apologized profusely. And I never, ever made that mistake again. And I knew better. I, I you know, I, 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 I'd grown up watching it and uh, I should have, I should have uh, known better. It, it was a good, it was a good lesson learned. And and then and then Troy dropped it, you know, right after that. Well, he, he, the point was across. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to. Once you understand the mistake, you said, "Oh, sorry, I won't happen again." Okay, got it. Yeah. No, I, I definitely got. To, I definitely got to. the point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fucking lovely. Well, Rip, you know, you know the story. We all know how it, 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 how the the story kind of ended. You guys were fighting an uphill battle, no matter how good your TV was, no matter how good your yeah. live shows were. And I'm sure in some cases, they they were better than. I mean, I look at some of the lineups at the Cook Convention Center. Man, that's a, those are loaded cards. Um, but you know, you obviously weren't gonna make people forget about Jarrett and Lawler and Dundee and Tojo and the established stars. Um, what do you think is, is the legacy of ICW? Um, do you still get a lot of fans who remember it and, and with, with the same reverence as I do? Hell, I have no, I have no idea. Are you do even give a shit? <laughs> and, and I don't, and I don't give a shit. It's yeah. just like what, what I remember about it. I don't give a shit with somebody else about it. It's like these people that watch this stupid wrestling today. They're going to go thinking this shit was good. Right. They don't know no better. They've never seen anything. Yeah. They've been, they've been WWE eyes for how many years now, right? It's like the only show in fucking town like. Anybody that was NWA, they would bury their fucking ass and make them shitty characters and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And always come out to lose it in. So you're 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 schooled that the Cartoon Network is the fucking uh, is the big fucking deal with shitty fucking matches, P fucking G, no in fucking intensity, no electricity in the air, and and it's fucking sad. But nobody knows, nobody cares. So what the fuck? Well, you know, and one thing that uh, what you know, having grown up in Memphis and and really only seeing ICW uh, and and Jarrett show. I, you know, I was a huge fan of both. I thought they were, but I didn't know, you know, as a young fan, I didn't know like what, I didn't know like, oh, this is great TV. You know what I mean? I was just caught up in it. Um, yeah. I didn't really, I didn't analyze it uh, like, right. like, like we do today and probably overanalyze it and think about it. Yeah. You too overanalyze much. everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. instead of just watching it and enjoying it, oh, 
well, why ain't this guy getting a push? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's 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 the sixth dive of the match. And yeah. there's doing the, you know, it's just everything's stupid. But 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 but, but but my point is though, I I didn't, I, I I guess I would see uh you know the guys in New York on all the magazine covers. I knew that they were at Madison Square Garden. I knew that Atlanta was on cable, and they were all over the magazines too because of that. And they you know they had some big uh-huh. name stars. But man, when I finally got around to seeing the TV, like from man, especially from WWF, it made me appreciate Memphis and ICW that much more. Uh, you know, and, he, he, and actually, I didn't even get cable till '83, so Georgia was on a down. You know, that's when they were starting to to go on a downhill uh-huh. slide. So uh, I didn't see like the really great Georgia TV that was out there. Uh, so man, it, it really, I I, I think. Memphis fans were really lucky during that time period to grow up like we did. It, you know, it, it was the perfect storm because, you know, we didn't have a pro sports team. Uh, right. And you had ICW coming on right before the Memphis show. Man, that talk, man, just like that's, that's, that's two and a half hours combined of just great wrestling television. Yeah, that was, that's, that was the, the smart marketing is, either have you as a lead in following, but even better is to open up with it. And you might watch the last half hour before wrestling, before the real wrestling Memphis comes on. Right. And you might get addicted to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, it, 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 it was good. It was good marketing. It, it was a good fucking tape and in, in that fucking era. And we worked our, and we worked our fucking balls off. But you know, if you're on the strong station with the with the the solid time slot where tradition's at, you're not going to buck that no matter what. Yeah, and that had to be that. I'm sure that had to be frustrating for you guys because, in many cases, probably putting on uh, just as good a product, if not better. Uh, hey, some weeks. Hey, in, in any sport, they had the NFL and they had the AFL. They merged. The most Super Bowl champions were the goddamn AFL, the AFC. You had the ABA, the NBA. When they fucking merged half the All-Stars, the next year were ABA players. NBA had the great buildings, the great markets, the great TV time slots. The ABA had the best players, the three-point line, the fucking guys that wanted to fucking reinvent fucking basketball. Major League Baseball. First you had one league, and then you had the other fucking league. And that's the way it's always been in, in all kind of fucking sports. Uh, the guys, the, the underdog always worked harder. They didn't always succeed, but they definitely worked fucking harder because the owners were usually the fucking white cats, you know, uh, a fat guy with a fucking cigar saying, no, you're the shits, but he's never been in the ring in his life, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and if you look back, you know, just a quick glance at a at an ICW card, you go, well, there's Randy Savage, who went on to be one of the most popular WWE world yep. champions ever. Ronnie Garvin finally uh-huh. got a run with the yep. NWA world title; was a big star for for Crockett. You know, back then, you, yep. you know, you weren't necessarily thinking, oh, there's a future WWF and a future NWA world champion uh, headlining the show. Bob Orton Jr. main event at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you and you had a went on to have a great career too, and worked wherever you wanted to, and man, just a lot of talent, a lot of great talent uh, in that promotion. 
But like I tell everybody, hey, wrestling ain't real. None of it is. So if you're my buddy and I can get you a job, I will. It doesn't matter that you're not any good. Not at all. TV will make you a star. People will come to see you because you're on TV. You're a perceived star. You might be rotten as fuck. It don't fucking matter. You ride people's coattails. You do whatever you can to fucking get there. You kiss fucking ass or what fucking ever. If Dusty's your fucking savior and he made you a fucking star, wherever he goes, he brings you along. And that's the way the wrestling business is always fucking biz. Talent has fucking nothing to do with it. Uh, Lawler was good. Jerry Jarrett saw this, but he could have picked anybody he wanted to because he had the fucking TV and TV makes your goddamn fucking stars. The only exception was Nick Gulen pulling my boy Georgie out there. <laughs> and that's and that separated the fucking territory and uh uh started everything thing by uh of him trying to push fucking George. Jesus Christ. How, how bad how bad was he? Did you work with him? Uh I was a baby face there for a okay. while. And then as a heel I never worked with him because he was scared of Randy. And me and Randy was partners, and he was scared to death of Randy, cause he, I thought, I thought he was like a sex change or something, that he was a, that he was really a girl or something, or something was wrong with him. Wow. God, he sounded like a girl. He had no muscles in his body. No. And then he got mad. He had some basketball team, and then he got mad. He wouldn't let me be on it because I was too good. And he had to be the star. And then, uh, I remember we was at one fucking town in Kentucky, and the. Uh, uh, the local team beat his body slammers and he got mad, pulled the ring up, didn't have the wrestling show. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. That's one guy. He, that, he, he, he does live up to his rep. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel like we've uh, gone the equivalent of like a two hour steel cage match rep. <laughs> so we, yeah, we, were, we really didn't talk about anything, anything real fucking subjects really well hey that's that, in. that's good that's good that's good content <laughs> hey that, that's like hey one time we ran johnson city every fucking tuesday it was me pez and gary royal were in the fucking car and somebody else and gary's something broke down we we got it fixed we went on to johnson city we showed up 90 minutes late there had been one match the whole show ronnie garvin was working Tony Peters. They were both fucking gassed. The fucking ring was broke down. People were standing. We we come there. Garvin Saul's coming. He give me the wave. We hit the fucking ring. He beat the shit out of all of us with our own suitcases and shit and left to a standing ovation. That was the only match of the fucking show because you <laughs> couldn't follow that with anything, right? It was all... It, <laughs> it was it was all what do you call it was all fucking improv right and that's right. what you learn when you know how to fucking work and it was just fucking and i said this is fucking amazing they had one match a 90 minute fucking match the rings tore down these guys are bleeding these people are fucking standing here's garvin beating us and all our fucking clothes are going everywhere and shit and people are going what the fuck happened right <laughs> <laughs> it sort of reminds me of that story uh when uh uh jerry jerry lee lewis was was playing and i think 
uh, gosh, who was, I think Little Richard or somebody was, was yeah, I think Little Richard was going to follow him. He, you know, Jerry Lee wasn't the headliner. And he was a little uh-huh. pissed off about that. So he went yeah. crazy, put on the, you know, this, he was a wild guy anyway in his performances. Yeah. But at the end of it, he set the piano on fire. And as he was walking off the stage, he goes, yeah, top that motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Hey, man, I really enjoyed this. Uh, we haven't even gotten into your, your eventual Memphis run. We know Randy, obviously, uh, when the when ICW folded, uh, went to work for Jerry Jarrett. Uh, I was there the night you and I talked a little bit about that, the, how the atmosphere uh-huh. was just incredible. You could almost feel how nervous Lawler probably legitimately was because, you know, Savage had apologized and written a letter and all this, but I'm sure then in the back of his mind, he was like, man, can I trust this guy? Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. Very special night. Uh, but yeah, but I want you to come back and, and, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about your run in 86. Okay, I never got a fucking t-shirt you asked. Ah, well, hey, well, you know, am I supposed to send it to Parts Unknown? I, I asked you. Did I, did, <laughs> I thought I asked you for an address and you didn't send it. You probably did. Uh, you probably did. it. I know I did it. I didn't give you one. I don't want you to give me a free shirt. <laughs> no, hey, man. But, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to. Hey, that's again, that's the name. Uh, that's the name that you built. So uh, I would love for I would love for you to have one. So uh, but, and he's speaking, of course, about the professionally done icw logo t-shirt that's now available at kentucky Fried. actually i got a sub url it's at icwmerch.com uh so if you go there you can find our wide away a wide array <clears throat> i'm exhausted i'm gassed uh of icw merchandise and a percentage of everything that we sell will be going to uh an, a former icw star who could use a little help right now so uh check that out and rip hey man thanks again bud we'll have to do this again okay well you got my fucking number you fucking <laughs> did this call me or whatever and we'll see we'll see what the fuck ha- we'll see what we can talk about next time if i can fucking uh Skip around and shit. I get. I told you I get fucking carried away and I go off on different shit. That's all right, man. So, hey, I, th- I think I, th- I think we yeah we we eventually we we got off road, but then we we pulled back on to the road. So and nobody and true, nobody and nobody was hurt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, man. Well, Scotty. All right. Have a good day, love. And we want to thank Rip Rogers for joining us on the KFR podcast. We'll certainly have Rip back on to talk about his 86 run for Jarrett Promotions. And I'm sure he'll have more stories, more cursing, the whole nine yards. Combs Elementary, July 13th at 3 p.m. The main event, Rip Rogers. And he married Dale Evans. Versus George Weingarov. How do you spell that? If Rip loses, he must evacuate and never return to Combs, Kentucky for one year. Ain't no man alive saying that. If George loses, he must shave his chin ball. I think Izzy Slapowitz will be Roger's manager. But I ain't going. Leaping Lanny will be Weingaroff's manager. Then, a world title match in Combs, Kentucky. Pistol Pez Watley versus Randy Macho Man Savage. And Randy's manager will be Steve Cooper. <coughs> then, a tag team match. Tony Peters. <coughs> and the Black Widow. Put that Spider-Man in there. They're taking on <laughs> Jim Pride. 
and Leaping Lanny. Plus one other match. Don't miss it. Superstar Wrestling Action this Sunday at 3 o'clock at the A.B. Combs Elementary School at Combs, Kentucky. Sponsored by the Combs Volunteer Fire Department. But now we are going to go back in time to April 9th, 1975. Now, what you're about to hear is some rare WHBQ audio uh, that was recorded by a buddy of mine named Chip Namius. Uh, Chip was a young man, a displaced New Yorker, who discovered Memphis wrestling uh, when he was about 9 or 11 years old and just became infatuated with it. And he would record, using an audio cassette player, uh, snippets of the wrestling programs. I, I wish he had taped entire episodes, but unfortunately we don't have it. But what we do have is one long segment that sets up a record-breaking night at the Mid-South Coliseum, attendance-wise. Now, everybody always points to the magnificent Zulu, uh, this big stiff guy who challenged the Mongolian Stomper for the NWA Southern Heavyweight Championship two weeks in a row. And you would think, okay, maybe they fool the public once and they draw a sellout. How can those guys, given Zulu's inherent limitations, how can even the Stomper draw out a decent enough match to pull people back in the next week. Well, it had something to do with not only Archie Goldie being a hell of a worker, and plus, too, he had the aura. He still had that mystery surrounding him. Can anybody beat this guy? Can anybody, can anybody even hurt him? And he also had his great mouthpiece, Bearcat Wright. But speaking of mouthpieces and talking about drawing people into the building, there was none better than the fabulous Jackie Fargo. And you're going to find out the real match, I think, that people wanted to see that Monday night when Dave Brown interviews Cowboy Parker, Ken Dillinger, and Al Green, mean Al Green, about their upcoming rematch with Roughhouse Fargo, Jackie Fargo, and Don Fargo in a no-time limit, no-disqualification match. Cowboy Parker, Ken Dillinger, Al Green. Gentlemen, got a rematch coming up. There's no time limit. There's no disqualification. And uh, the Fargo brothers say that's right hey, down their alley. Hey, look at me, will you? Yes, sir. Let me tell you something. What happened over that Monday night? Boy, those Fargos, you know, we're enemies number one, Fargo is, to the Green and the Outlaws. They really threw Big Al Green a curve. They brought that Donnie, calls himself Donnie Fargo, I'm not too sure that he's not illegitimate. He, to me, he looks like an illegitimate child. I understand his father was a was a truck driver, and he's traveled all over the road. Maybe the family don't know he's illegitimate, but I know it, and I know that they pulled up the, uh, towards the curve because they put that boy. He looks like Popeye. Come out there, looks like more like Popeye than the Fargo. Lord, I'm sure that he said that they wanted no time limit, no disqualification. Well, let me tell you something. That is a bold-faced lie. They didn't ask for that match. Al Green asked for that match. We want that type match because that's right down our alley. That's the way we like to fight. That is the only thing that saved them from stretcher case. They'd all been carried out on stretchers if they had Al Green. With Al Green and the outlaws way. They'll absolutely all be carried out on the stretchers because ain't no power, ain't no law, ain't nothing this world going to keep us coming because they got to fight to the last. No time limit, no disqualification. That's exactly what it means. Get in there and fight. And that's what they're going to have to do, baby. we got no time limit, no disqualification. That illegitimate child they brought in on us, we know him now. They just slipped him on us somewhere. Now, last week, we didn't know anything about that illegitimate boy. But now he says he's a far going to bring him in here. And we know his tactics. We know what to expect. And I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, 
Now, uh, you're going to see one of the world's fastest matches. Because we're going to stretch them out in the middle of the ring and juice uh, them up. And they'll care about those stretches. I'm not telling you nothing. It's not true. Everything I tell you, if you'll think about it, I've always done. Big Al Green don't tell no one's truth. And I'm telling you, we're going to do them in and do them in fast. And ain't nothing in this world going to keep them getting done in the hospital, I tell you, if they're lucky. You guys are three of the roughest guys that I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. Well, I, I noticed you last week, old baby. You was out here just crying, you old bad. You was out here just crying because I called you old nappy a charge, yellow belly charge. He's dead, all right. Your old mammy's liable to die, too. He's a yellow belly dog coward. And anybody that has been a gentleman, Charles ain't none of the whole family. To me, they're all a bunch of no good bums. There's nothing to them but a yellow-bellied, loud-mouthed idiot. Well, we're not going to settle it out here, calling No, we're not going to settle it out here, but I want we'll you, Mrs. Fans, to know. I, that's right, Tuesday night. I want you fans to know one thing. When you come down there and pay that $20 fee, it ought to be $20. The freeloaders are getting there, what, 10 or 5 or 3 or $4, $5? It ought to be $20 a cent because you're a bunch of freeloaders. We'll work. We demand it. We get it. That's right. Get a freeload in there and sell a match like it's coming up. Well, it should be a good match. There's no doubt about that. Right there. First of all, we're going to take care of this big black guy tonight in Jonesboro, so the stopper won't have anything to worry about Tuesday night. We'll see about it. We'll That's see about right. all of That's right. The big muscle heads, the, the yeah. dumb, he lifts the dumbbells, the dumbbells, they get the same dumbbells and dumb missing. That's what he is. We're going to do him in, and stomper will tell you this, baby. We're going to save you the trouble of uh, having a wrestling because he won't be around. I'll say that. I, I believe uh, Zulu will show up and go and all the night uh, to go against these guys. And I'm pretty sure... again after many, many years. Jackie, welcome, Don. Good to have you here. Uh, you tell you something about that big, loud-mouthed punk Al Green, you big dummy with your two cowboy drug stores. You got a little dose of your own medicine Monday night. I told you I was going to bring the fabulous three Fargos in here, and we did. You sit out there and watch the film. I know you big, dumb Al Green, and you seen what we did to you, and you didn't like it. You tried to come out here and cover up with it by your big cough and your big mouth about your big money in order to charge the people $25 for seats. All you need is a $10 bill for a bottle of wine, you big dummy, you. I'm telling you to your face, you're a big, dumb idiot. I'm telling you right now, and I can back up what I can say, and I've got two fabulous Fargos with me, Nuthouse, who you know very well, and my brother Donnie. Donnie and I had some problems. We're brothers. We were separated for about five years. Last Saturday when I called him, he didn't hesitate. He came right in to help me back. Now we're going to get back together. We patched our differences up, and we're going to show you something, you big dummy with your two drugstore cowboys. We're going to show you how mean and tough and rough the fabulous Fargos are, Pally. you talking about you wanted that match. You didn't want that match. You're a liar. You're a fair-faced liar. And I tell you right in your eyes, you're a liar. Do you understand that? I'm going to keep running my family down, boy, and I'm going, to, I'm going to do what I said years ago. I'm going to kill you one of these days for that. I'll tell you I what, people will forgive me for get out of here and talking like 
Understandable. We heard what he had to say here a moment ago. I don't know if uh, Al Green knows or not that uh, Jackie and Don Fargo uh, were together as a tag team a few yeah, years ago. Very well. That uh, you held uh, the World Tag uh, Championship belts for seven years. Seven years. Uh, these, these two guys held the belts, uh, packing them in Madison Square Garden for months and months, over a year up there. So uh, uh, Green uh, better not take this team lightly. Of course, we've all seen Roughhouse uh, bouncing around here. He's a big dummy, and I'm telling him again, you're a big, dumb idiot, Mr. Al Green, with your little 10-cent cowboy hat and your two drugstore cowboys. Y'all want to keep repeating that. I know that bugs you. I want to make you as mad as I know how. I want to make you so mad for Tuesday night. I want you to get in there, and I want you to just try everything you know how, Sally, because the fabulous Fargo's inventing dirty wrestling. Gouging, kicking, biting, brass nuts, anything you can think of. So you bring whatever you want and who you want Tuesday night, Al Green, because Jackie, Donnie, and Roughhouse will be waiting for you. I have no doubt about it that uh, he's going to run into a wall opposition when he sees the Fargos down here. Don, uh, good to have you here with uh, Jackie and, of course, uh, Roughhouse. And uh, let me just uh, say to you in a way of closing here that uh, you've got a match here today. I want to wish both of you the best of luck in that match. And also, of course, uh, best of luck with Brother Roughhouse uh, Monday night down at uh, the Coliseum going against these guys. Rather, Tuesday night uh, going against these guys. Okay, thanks. I ain't got nothing to say. I'm hot. I'm not going to do all the talking. Uh, except I've got a personal dread right now. And there's Al Green. And uh, I'm just going to beat the living devil out of him. Because he uh, hurt me and he's hurt my family and we're close like Jack says. And uh, well, ain't nobody going to get away with it. That's all I'm going to say. I'm from New York. I'm from the tough side of New York. I'm from Hell's Kitchen. I was born and raised there. My brothers and myself. And I fought in the streets all my life. I've been put up and put away. I've been stomped and kicked and bit. I've been shot and stabbed and run over. And nobody's going to talk about my family get away with it, especially my brother. Because you hurt my brother, you hurt me, man. And I'll tell you, I got the body, the muscles, the strength, and the stupidity to hurt you. You can bet your sweet life on it. Because I've hurt a lot of people before. A lot of people. My brother has to take care of me because I'm not too intelligent. I'm kind of stupid in the head, but I know what I'm doing. I guarantee you this for one thing. If he tells me to go get that man, or anybody else, I'm going to go do it. Okay. You understand that, you big, dumb idiot, Al Green? Do you understand that? You heard from my brother, Don Fargo. I want you to understand that. Thank you, Dave. Okay, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Don. Tuesday night, Mid-South Coliseum returns. Six-man tag team battle. No time limit. No disqualification. It'll be Jackie, Don, and Roughhouse Fargo against Cowboy Outlaws, Cowboy Parker, Ken Dellinger, with Al Green wrestling with them. And that is all coming up. We've got more live wrestling action coming up right here. Stay with us. Wow, what a rare treat that was to have the three Fargo brothers all doing interviews, and each one a little bit different. Jackie, definitely uh, with with the personality. And then I, I, I love Don Fargo's really understated, rough-around-the-edges promo. He doesn't say much, but he doesn't have to. He says he's coming to hurt you. And, buddy, you believe him. Uh, just they may again, it's just a, it's just a matter of believability. And each guy is a little bit different in their approach. 
Uh, you know, Jackie's charisma just really shines the other two, you know, but if they're all three alike, then if they're all kind of saying the same thing, then nobody's going to listen. Uh, and that's one thing that I think is really missing today. And, and Jerry Lawler told me that Jackie never, never before he went out to do a promo was off in a corner somewhere thinking about what he was going to say or bouncing ideas off other wrestlers. He just went out and winged it and spoke from the heart. And you feel that in every one of his promos. Uh, Brian, has, as someone who did not uh, grow up in Memphis, uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on uh, not only Jackie, uh, but, but Don Fargo in, the, in, this, uh, in this segment? It was really great stuff to hear. You know, you can look at it and evaluate the actual, I hate to use the word performance, but the performance there. And it's Fargo, it's Jackie. I shouldn't say Fargo. It's Jackie being Jackie, and he's great. But to hear Don, and if you've heard Don do a promo in the Chain Gang in Chicago, or even later in his career, he very much is a chameleon. He looked different during this run, and this promo is just so direct and to the point and straightforward and believable. And the entire time this is happening, you don't hear him say anything, but you you can tell that everyone's kind of turning their heads to see what Roughhouse is doing on the set <laughs> while it's all going on. Right. So yeah. it creates this really interesting dynamic, and I then I look at it beyond the performance and from the history end of it, and here's 75... The three Fargo brothers. And how often had the three Fargo brothers actually been together as three? Yeah. Because Jackie comes to Memphis with Don, and then Roughhouse gets introduced after Don leaves, I believe. So how many times were they all three there at the same time? And this is certainly one of the only examples that exists on tape. Yeah, and and I know that Cornette uh, has talked about uh, this night and how – the Fargo, the Fargo brothers were the, were responsible because if if they had if all three had teamed before and, I, and I'm pretty sure that they have this was the first time in years that it had happened uh, and and it's so special because not only are they at the at the uh, Coliseum on Monday night but they're also in the studio to give a live promo and the result for that eleven thousand seven hundred people now the official capacity for the mid-south coliseum is eleven thousand three hundred sixty-five. somehow they got i don't know if jerry jarrett paid off the uh the fire marshal again but anyway they got eleven thousand seven hundred people in there with an estimated five thousand fans turned away not too wow. shabby yeah yeah not at all and yep. again this is a period of time it's not longer it's the fargos and you have the stomper as that as that strong heel and you could debate who was really drawing the house. But as you've pointed out before, so many people say you have the three Fargos. That's what it was. Yeah. And not only that, but they came, they came back. This is the, this is the, like the, the, the greatest thing about, about Memphis wrestling. And for people who kind of insinuate that maybe Jerry Jarrett was not uh, a booking genius. He was in, he was well in control of the book at this point. Uh, they drew a, they drew a sellout of eleven thousand six hundred the week before on August fourth. Uh, we mentioned the sellout on August twelfth. Brian, they came back on August eighteenth, the very next week. Essentially, the same two matches on top: Fargo Brothers against Parker, Dillinger and Green, Stomper and Zulu. Another eleven thousand six hundred fans packed the place to see a sellout. Jerry Lawler on the August twelfth card, as hot as he was. He was in the second match against Bill Costello. Uh, man, just uh, just an incredible feat that the, it, it goes to show you whenever Jarrett was in trouble, he'd bring Fargo back. He'd bring Roughhouse back. And it never failed to spark the houses. Well, speaking of rising numbers, 
more and more of you are following me on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. More and more. Well, actually, I think less of you have been listening to the show of late because you never know when it's going to come on. But hey, that's part of the excitement. <laughs> In the meantime, you can always find me on Facebook at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. You can check out my YouTube channel at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And Brian, tell the folks uh, where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcast. And you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You, sir, are no Dave Brown. <laughs> well, <laughs> I knew Dave Brown. <laughs> Dave Brown was my friend. And oddly enough, you know, we were talking about cursing and everything. And Dave Brown actually cursed at me. And I may have been, I may be the only in history, man in history who Dave has ever cursed, cussed out in his life. Uh, but it was effective because I uh, I shaped up for a few weeks after that. Didn't say anything too controversial after the infamous incident with uh, German <laughs> German towns Jonesboro's number one side Randy Hales. Well, that about wraps this week up for Brian Lass. This is Scott Bowden saying that Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week. Bye bye, everybody. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling. <laughs>